Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Well, just uh, as you make your way back in this morning... We've uh, started a journey a couple weeks ago looking at life, how you could become the best neighbor possible, and uh, how do you neighbor well? We live in a world that uh, is fairly siloed in some ways in neighborhoods. Uh, This series got got me thinking as I was chatting with, uh, with a real estate agent, he was just amazed I wasn't moving, he was just... We're just chatting, and, and uh, he, was, he was talking to me about the fact, he, I was just saying, oh, we live in this great neighborhood, and everyone connects, and, and he's like, how do you know your neighbors? And I was like, well, doesn't everybody know who their neighbors are? And he's like, no. He said, that's like super uncommon. And I was like, oh, tragic in some ways. Do you know what I mean? And uh, doing this series, looking at how do we neighbor well? The book of Corinthians, it says this, it says, let love be your highest goal. And that seems like a kind of somewhat almost a pithy statement in some ways that it's just like, oh yeah, just, you know, love, joy, peace kind of thing. But, but how do, what if we live that out? What if we actually made and said, you know what, the funnel with which we make decisions, uh, the kind of the screen by which we look at all the choices in our lives, if we make love our highest goal in our decision-making process, what would our lives look like? Like if we made all of our decisions based on what's going to actually increase my love quotient the most? What's going to cause me to care about others? What's going to cause me to serve others? What's going to cause me to bless others the most out of any? And if we use that as, as kind of the tool by which we made decisions, how would our lives look differently? I think mine would look quite a bit differently, actually, in some ways. We've been on this kind of journey. It says in John 15, uh, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. As Jesus says, listen, I want you to love each other. How does we do that? As I have loved you. Wow, that's a tall order, actually. You think of what Christ, how he loved us. It was this unconditional kind of love, this sacrificial kind of love, this continual, ongoing kind of love. And he said, this is how I want you to behave when it comes to how you treat those around you. That childhood kind of, you know, we've the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you'd have done unto you. You know, and this isn't just kind of something that you say to kids. This is actually what Jesus said to us, that we need to listen. Love those that God's put in our midst. We started this series talking about how if we're going to be the best neighbors possible, we have to have a relational connection. You actually have to get to know them. You have to connect with them. Secondly, we looked at last week, we looked at this idea, well, it wasn't last week, I wasn't here, but the week before, uh, are we a plus or are we a minus? Are we adding value or subtracting value in our neighborhoods? Are we, are we taking with those uh, that we have in connection with, do we actually bless, do we serve, do we actually add value? We looked at this story of the good Samaritan, so to speak, and, and how you can be a blessing to those around you. Well, this morning, I want to look at a different kind of way of uh, of assessing this and looking at our neighborhoods and saying, how do we bring healing to the neighborhoods in which we live? How do we bring healing to the broken neighborhoods, the, the areas 
where God's called us to. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a broken, quote-unquote, neighborhood before. Um, I've been in some rough ones. I remember when I was a, uh, a teenager, one of my first, I just had got my license, and, you know, I grew up kind of in Paris, Ontario. It's not what you call, like, the hood. Um, but uh, we tried to make it that, but it wasn't really. And, and so I remember I was working at Circle Square Ranch, a kid's camp, and, and they had said to me, laws have changed as to who can drive kids nowadays, but I was 16 years old, and they said, we want you to take this 13-passenger van, and we want you to go down to Buffalo and pick up. We did every week, we would pick up these kids from inner city Buffalo and bring them to the kids' camp. And they're like, we want you to head down and do this. So I'm like, okay, I'm 16-year-old, and I got this 13-passenger van, and I drive down, and I got the address, and this is before GPS things. And, you know, I get down, and I'm like, where am I? And, you know, nervously, and I pick up these these kids, and it was, it was crazy, actually. And, and we're in a pretty rough area. In fact, while I was picking them up, the first time I was picking them up, there was some gunshots go off, and I'm like freaking out, you know, and, and we get to the border, and, and I, I got this van full of kids and, and young teenagers, and, and I'm like 16 myself, and I remember I'm at the border, and we're pulling right up to the, the crossing area at the border traffic, and, and they see this cool car go by, and they're like, oh, man, that's dope. And I was like, no, don't say that. You don't say that. Anything but that. They're like, oh, that car is so dope. I'm like, no, it's not. There's no dope in this car. <laughs> Broken neighborhoods. Now, you might say, hey, Jay, that's, uh, that's not where I live. You know, I don't have that, like, crime and all those kind of things. But yet there's a brokenness in so many times in, in some of our neighborhoods. That's maybe not external that you can see, but sometimes it's behind the closed doors. There's a brokenness. Well, before we get into it this morning, here's what I'm going to have you do. Uh, just at your tables, you can move around, sit with somebody that looks like they know how to enjoy a good neighborhood. And so I want you to come up with, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, now there was a, a study done actually just two weeks ago that was kind of interesting. It was talking about the most livable cities in the world. And... Um, and so the most livable cities in the world, and it actually identified three Canadian cities and, and three Australian cities. This is a little bit of a different study. This looked at kind of socioeconomic, all the factors, price of houses, stability. The most livable or the best cities to live in the world, according to the Wall Street Journal, go. See how many you can get. I'll give you a point for each one. How many did you guys get? Five? Anyone? What did you guys get? Five? What did you guys get? Five. Anyone get a six? Give it up for the table in the back. They know where the cities are. Geography specialists right there. So this morning we're talking about, you know, how do we heal brokenness in our neighborhoods? So in order to do that, just before we look into God's word this morning, I want you to ask this question uh, where you're sitting. What are some indicators of a healthy neighborhood? And so in order to heal it, we need to know, okay, what, what's an indicator of, of health? So for a moment, just uh, discuss that with those around you. What's some indicators of a healthy neighborhood? Go ahead. The health of neighborhoods. Uh, where I live, it's just this great little neighborhood. I've lived in lots of different places that sometimes had an appearance of being healthy, but then weren't, and other places that vice versa looked not so great. I remember when we first moved to Hong Kong, one of the spots that we lived there, uh, our little flat was completely surrounded with this giant wall 
and then they'd, they had mortared in broken pieces of glass, shards of glass sticking up, and then it had razor wire uh, circled around the whole outside, and I was like, ooh, you know, this is like penitentiary kind of like walls. This must be, and then once we got there, it was like we discovered actually one of the safest places we've ever lived in our whole lives, and it was just, you know, that people just over nervous about things, you know. Conversely, then, I've been in some areas that uh, weren't so easy and weren't so nice. I worked in downtown Toronto for a little bit at a church, and most of our congregation, uh, we were in a rough spot, and um, we had probably 50% of our congregation was homeless, actually, of no fixed address, and, uh, and, and it makes for a unique dynamic in, in some of the areas. Uh, I remember living one time, we lived in Peterborough, and Carl and I were in Bible college at the time, and so we were, you know, we didn't have much money at all. In fact, we had almost no money, and so we were, we were praying, and this couple invited us to live in their house, and they were going to go to Florida for eight months, and they said, hey, would you let, we were going to be there for nine months, so they said, would you like to move in and house it for us? So we're like, sure, and we lived in the fanciest of homes. It was this beautiful, huge three-car garage on this fancy area and, and I remember when we moved in and all our friends were living in squalor and we were like woohoo you know we're in this great big house and and then I remember uh one of our first weeks there we came out in the morning and all the neighbors were in our front yard looking around and and someone had toilet papered you know the tree in our front yard and I knew right away it was our friends like our goof-off friends and they we came out and we're like oh in the neighborhood's the neighbors were all out, and they'd never had any kind of crime at all in their neighborhood. This was like the biggest thing they'd ever experienced. Someone toilet paper tree. And they were like, oh. And they accused the neighbors a few hours down of us. They're like, they have teenagers. It must be their teenager friends. And we're like, oh, yeah, it probably is, you know. <laughs> and that was like the biggest thing they'd ever experienced, you know. And here's what I've found. It doesn't matter the socioeconomic zone of a community there's brokenness behind all sorts of doors there's homes that you'll go into and there's a hurt and a heartache and and there's people that are lonely on every street in Canada probably and there's people that are crying out and there's people that need love and there's people that need care there's healing needed in pretty much every neighborhood and what I see from Jesus is Jesus is a was one that constantly would find his way to those who were broken. That Jesus, everywhere he went, he would bring healing to community. That he would bring healing to those who, who needed help and those who were broken. And I asked the question, what is God calling you to bring healing to? Who's God calling you to say, you know what? that you need to actually show responsibility. I feel on my heart as pastor, I've said it to many of you, that my, my calling is not just to pastor kind of this building, this church, so to speak, but my call is actually a pastor of the community. And if our community's broken as a church, we've failed. If our community, if, if, if aspects of our community are unhealthy, then it's on our watch and we need to say, you know what, Lord, you've called us, that you've called us to make a difference in this world around us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4, and we read this story. We started last week looking at the idea of a Samaritan, and we're going to uh, continue on. And we talked about this idea of the good Samaritan, and, and uh, this week we continue on. Jesus finds his way to probably the group that was 
the most socially broken with their context and their culture. So to understand the Samaritans for a moment, they, they were at this time, at Jesus' time, they were at an all-time heightened level of discord with the Jews. In fact, just years before Jesus' kind of ministry came on the scene, history would tell us that the Samaritans had, had broken into the Jewish temple, which was the most holy of places, which was their most sacred zone, and they'd completely desecrated the temple. And they'd, they'd actually like thrown human excrement all around the walls. They'd, they'd dragged in like nasty stuff. And for a Jew, this was like troubling. The Jews were thought of as half-breeds, that they had, they had been ones who were half-Jewish, and then they'd also um, got together when the Jews were oppressed and taken away to Babylon. And so the Jews looked at them as sellouts. They didn't like them. And vice versa, the Samaritans had tried to make peace, and it hadn't gone so well. And so it was difficulty times. And so to the Jews, when they were on a trip and on a journey, if they had to go through a, a Samaritan town anywhere in Samaria, they would actually go out of their way and go around, even if it meant miles extra in the walk, even if it meant their journey was, was significantly longer, they would avoid Samaritan contact with, at all costs. They just did not like one another. So it says here that Jesus, in his ministry, it was, he was growing in popularity and the Pharisees were getting upset. And so it's interesting, Jesus is actually leaving Judea and going to Galilee. In other words, he's going to the hot spot and he's going to a spot of little fame. Jesus always did the opposite of what most people would do. As Jesus grows in popularity and fame, most people would be like, okay, let's get more of that. Jesus always thins the crowd everywhere he goes, which is kind of interesting. But it says that he has to go back to Galilee. And then verse 4 says that he was compelled, that he had to go through Samaria. Now this is different than what already the disciples would be on their guard, like, whoa, this is weird, this is unusual. And so it says that Jesus goes into Samaria. And at the sixth hour, which, you know, they measure from, from the time of daybreak, and so it's around lunchtime, he goes in the hottest spot of the day, and he comes to the center of town, and he sends his disciples off to go find some food. And there he comes to Jacob's well, famous well. And there we meet this Samaritan woman. Now, it's interesting, the fact that she's there already reveals something. See, if you've been around places that are really hot, that people have to draw water from a well, the time that they don't do it is the heat of the day at noontime. I remember when I was in Haiti with Maurice there, and, and you know, everyone has to get the water from the well. It's usually the women because they do all the hard work, it seems. And so um, they, would, they would get these, like, large, you know, jugs of water, and some of them would walk huge distances. And, you know, in the morning, they'd fill all the jugs up with water. And, you know, the, the ones who are, like, you know, really on the ball, they would have one on their head, and then they'd be carrying two jugs of water. And, and they would always do that first thing in the morning. No one ever went in the heat of the day to get water. An exhausting job. Here we find her at the hottest spot of the day. What's the reason? Well, later we reveal the reason a little bit. But he meets and he says to this lady, which was totally against the social norms, he said, hey, can you, can you draw me some water? And she looks at him immediately and she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. The fact that a, a man is talking to a woman is like so out of the social norm. The fact that a Jew is talking to a Samaritan, this is unusual, and she's just blown away by this. They begin the conversation, and Jesus begins to speak 
And he says, listen, I have living water for you. It's kind of neat. He uses this word. And if you read in the, in the actual Greek, there's a little bit of a play on words. There's two words for well. There's one like a, a dug, you know, kind of channel through the earth, a regular kind of well. And then there's another one that's like a spring, like a bubbling over. And Jesus speaks of the water that I offer you. He talks about the well. And then he says, the water I offer you is like a bubbling over spring, he says to her. She goes on and then they get in and Jesus begins to speak to her about her life. And the reason that she's there at midday is probably because she's ashamed and embarrassed, probably to avoid the contact. Jesus speaks, and, and he speaks to the five failed relationships she's had in her life. And, and in this context, this is, this is a huge deal. It's not like it is today. Like, like failed relationships were a big, big deal. He speaks to her, and he says, you've had five. And now the man that you're living with is not your husband. And, and she's like blown away by this. And he speaks to her, then he says, listen. I want to offer you eternal life, life-giving water. And he comes to this lady who was the last person you would think that Jesus would find, the last person that Jesus would go to, a Samaritan, a woman, an immoral woman, like, like all the boxes checked about, wow, brokenness. And Jesus has a mission. It says he had to go there. So many crowds and so many people clamoring to want to speak to Jesus. And Jesus has to go and say, you know what? This is my mission to bring healing to most broken of broken in the most broken neighborhood. What's God calling you to? Who's God calling you to in this world? Who's God calling you to, to show love to? Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. It gives a clue that we can be involved in this healing process of broken neighborhoods. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and what? Heal their land. This idea that we can actually be a part of the process of bringing healing to our land. That we can actually have a difference in the bringing of healing. That we can bring transformation to our communities when we get, when we say, God, I want to seek you with all of my heart. God, I'm going to cry out. I'm going to, I'm going to get a hold of your will for my life. The book of Numbers uh, 35 and Deuteronomy 4 and then also in Deuteronomy 19 and Joshua 20. There's, there's four passages in the Old Testament that talk about this idea that God had this idea of, of, of cities of refuge, they call it. That was spots where people could go if they'd messed up or made mistakes. And they were these cities of refuge that they could get healing. And um, it's interesting, in Psalm 99, it, it speaks of this kind of idea of the cities of refuge. And it says, God's a safe house for the battered, a sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive, you relax. You never be sorry that you knocked. In other words, God's this God that brings healing. That he's an idea, this idea, I love this concept, this idea of city of refuge. That he's a city of refuge over our lives. James 2.8 says this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, if you really want to get your, your, your life and your theology, your life right, it says this, love your neighbor as yourself, and then, then you'll know you're doing well. You want to know if you're doing well? Learn how to love. Sometimes the most simplest of truths of God's word are the hardest ones to live out. In this idea, how do we bring health to our neighborhoods? How do we know we're doing well as a church? 
love on those around us as we love ourselves. So how do we heal the broken neighborhoods? I want to give you four things real quick this morning if we're going to bring healing to the neighborhoods around us, if we're going to kind of uh, approach the neighbors and, and those in our context. As I see from this story from John chapter 4, number one is we have to help build peace. Peace was so fractured at this moment. It was like Samaritans, Jews. They had nothing to do with one another. They were completely disconnected. The fact that Jesus came here and he wasn't on time restraints. It was like the hottest part of the day. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down here in the midst of his busy schedule. And he says, listen, I'm going to try and build peace in this fractured neighborhood. He went out of his way to meet with her. We live in a world that can be fractured in so many ways. Race, age, sex, socioeconomic barriers, all those things that keep the world so segregated. Walls that we build in silo. Remember a few years ago, I uh, kind of redneck a little bit, but I went to this NASCAR race and I was meeting all my cousins and my uncles down there and I had some meetings and so they were all traveling together and I had to go later. And so I left in the afternoon and I drove through the night and we were in Virginia. And I get down there at about two o'clock in the morning or so and I've been driving and tired and, and I didn't really know where I was going. And so I got a little bit uh, miscued. And, and so as I was there and I, I, once again, I didn't have a GPS and so I'm just trying to find my way. And, and I got into a spot that I'm like, hmm, this is definitely not where I was going. And I saw a police officer, and so I pulled over to him, and I said, hey, I feel like I'm lost. I'm looking for this NASCAR track. And he's like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? He's like, you're in the wrong neighborhood. He used some fairly derogatory words. And he's like, you need to get out of here now. And I'm like, okay, well. And so he's like, in fact, I don't even trust you to be able to drive out of here. He said, I'm going to give you a police escort. And he turns the sirens and the lights on. And he's like, follow me. And I'm like, okay, where am I, you know? And I thought, wow, we live in a world that, now obviously that's the extreme of the wrong neighborhood. But what's our wrong neighborhoods? Who do we go around to avoid? You know, do we say, you know what, I'm not going to go to downtown Hamilton. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. I'll go around. I'll take a longer way so I don't have to go through. You know, I met some people that have said to me, Jay, I don't, I, I'm not going to drive through the reserve. I'm going to go around. But maybe it's not even so obvious as that. Maybe it's just you go around one neighbor on your street. You know, that crazy lady on your street. And you're like, you know what, at all costs, I'm going to avoid her. Or I'm going to avoid that guy at all costs. See, those are the very people that Jesus went to. The ones who were marginalized. The ones who were siloed. The ones who were outside of the norm. That's the people that Jesus said, I'm going to build peace with those people. I'm going to bring healing to those people. I'm going to come and I'm going to show my love to those ones. What are you doing to help build peace in your environment? Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. 
that when we live out this call to say, you know what, in a world that's so, so divided in some ways, how are we bringing peace about? When the rumor mill starts up, and I'm sure there's lots of rumors about this lady in town. I'm sure there's lots of people talking. Jesus comes and says, you know what, it doesn't matter. Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. What are you doing to build peace? What are you doing to help build peace in the world around us? What are you doing to encourage that? Number two is, uh, number one is help build peace if you want to bring healing to your neighborhood. Number two is begin to be an encourager. Jesus speaks hope and encouragement to someone who had probably not had a whole lot. I can imagine this lady who had lived, you know, ostracized, you know, had made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. I bet you there wasn't a whole lot of people coming to her and saying, you know what? Great news in store for your life, that there's a future in store for you. There's not probably a whole lot of people speaking words of encouragement and life into her. Romans 12, uh, pardon me, Romans 15, 2 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. Do you know the call of God over our lives is to actually build up those that are around us? I had this neighbor one time who was super crusty and he, he was an okay old guy, but he was just a crusty, crusty old guy. And so I made it my challenge. Every day I'd see him, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he'd be like, doesn't really matter. No one cares anyways. That was his response. You're like, wah, wah, wah. He's like, I'm not going to tell you how I feel because nobody really cares. I'm like, hey, Eeyore, relax. But every time I saw him, I would, you know, it was my goal to try and, like, encourage in some way. And, you know, it was like, literally it was more than a few years. But every time I'd see him, rah, 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 he's crusty about something that he finally started to, like, ease up a notch. Carl and I went, uh, we were up in northern Ontario last weekend, and so we happened to drive through where we used to live, this little place called Inglehart. So I said to Carl, we got to go in and see this guy, and I wasn't even sure if he's alive anymore, to be honest with you. It's amazing how just when I saw him, you know, the what he's just like, so good to see him and the joy out there but it didn't come overnight healing usually doesn't but what could you do today to begin to encourage what could you do to begin to speak life into somebody proverbs 12:25 says anxiety weighs a man's heart down but a good word makes him glad there's so many people that are just so weighed down there's just so much anxiety. There's so much stress, so much pressure. What would happen if we just began to encourage and lift them up a little bit? We've got to help build peace. We have to encourage. Number three, we have to approach with grace. I love this picture of Jesus. He's a man, and he speaks to a woman. He's a rabbi, and he speaks to a moral woman. He's a Jew, and he speaks to a Samaritan. He comes with a graciousness at the sixth hour. And notice how he does it in such a respectful way. It says that he comes there, and then he sends all his disciples away so that he meets her in private. He's not trying to embarrass her publicly or, or anything. He's just so Jesus. He just comes with this graciousness about him.
I believe we need to accept, we need to approach those around us with a grace over us. We need to begin to be those kind of people. And I think for too long, uh, the world's seen Christians as the opposite of grace-filled. They've seen us as the ones just pointing the finger and saying, you don't measure up, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. And instead, we just need to be the people in our community, in our neighborhood, that just keep on showing love and keep on showing grace, that just keep on loving. I remember when I was a kid growing up, my parents, they were... We lived out in the country a little bit, and so they never locked their doors, ever. And my dad had this feeling, he's like, you know, locks only keep the honest people out. That was his, you know, and it's kind of somewhat true, but I remember we had this neighborhood kid, and he, he kept stealing from my parents. He was constantly into our house, and, you know, and you know when you just know, you know beyond know it's him, right? And all of a sudden he's selling the same thing that you used to have that's not missing from your house, you know. And it was just like thing after thing after thing. And, and my, I was like, my parents just kept showing grace to this kid. They'd invite him over and they'd serve him meals and they would bless him with things. And now they had to set up some parameters. I remember they used to keep all the valuables in our freezer because they were worried, you know, he'd, that's the only place he wouldn't check, it seemed. You'd go into our freezer and you're like, what? <laughs> I was on their case. I'm like, why are you being so nice? This kid constantly is stealing. This kid's constantly giving you guys, he's just brutal. My parents were like, well, he just needs somebody to believe in them. And I was like, oh, seriously. This woman's six out-of-marriage context relationships that had gone south. And Jesus, when by the law, they could actually stone, a Jew could stone her, like pick up a stone. They took it pretty serious, and Jesus just comes with this graciousness about him. You know what's amazing about that kid? My parents showed me what it means to live out grace for a long period of time. You know, there was times of frustration and anger, I'm sure, but they just kept showing him grace, and it's amazing that every big holiday, he's always sending a card to them still, that he comes back to see them, and I've been there when he comes back every once in a while, and he'll give them a big hug, and, and he treats them like parents. In fact, he sends them like Chris, or, uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day cards. Grace. You know, I think one of the greatest things you can ever do for somebody is show them unconditional grace in their lives. The way to transform someone's life, that doesn't mean we don't set up parameters and, and, and you know, there's not boundaries. But, but I am saying if we keep on just loving and showing grace, how it could change things. As Jesus comes and just shows grace, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. We need to help build peace and courage, accept with grace, and then finally, this morning, we need to be life-giving. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't very often in his ministry reveal that he's the Messiah. In fact, he lets other people connect the dots, but with her, you know, out of anyone that Jesus would have actually given and said, hey, I'm actually the Messiah. This is the one. 
You think, wow, wouldn't it be some like super fancy religious leader? Wouldn't it be somebody that's got all together? Nope. Jesus comes, and I like this word that he uses. He said, in me, there's eternal life. There's this bubbling over well. It's not just the word used for like a dug pulled out of the water kind of well. It's a bubbling over stream kind of brook well. This is the life that I have for you. What could you do to be life-giving to those around? What could you do to actually, you know, prayerfully breathe life That we're called, Scripture says, that we are the salt of the earth. That you are to be a light on a hill. Are you a light on a hill to your neighbor? Are you salt of the earth? Are you bringing life and truth to those around? I want to tell you one of the greatest moments is when you can lead one of your neighbors or your friends to Christ. It's a good thing. What could you do to be life-giving to those around you? What could you do to bring hope to those around? It's been exciting, actually, at Community to be able to share faith with a bunch of the neighbors, even from our church building around. And, um, well, Terry and Faith have put up with us, you know, as as neighbors, but uh, there's so many, actually, that even in our context around here, that we've got to pray with, that we've been able to to share Christ with in a great way. On my street, as so many of my neighbors have come to me and said, Jay, can you, I'm going through this, can you pray with us? Or Jay, can you do this, you know, and just, you know, and walk through and bring wisdom or counsel or guidance or just even listen. How could you be life-giving to those around you in a greater way? How could you bring healing to the neighborhood? Help build peace, to encourage, to to accept and bring approach those around you with a graciousness over their life, and then finally to be life-giving to those around you. How could you bring healing to those that God's called you to this week? I remember when we we were brand new in this building here and we'd moved around a bunch and I remember we came to this facility and, and we did the, um, we, we've done it a bunch of years, like around uh, May long weekend, we have like this group fireworks night and so we ha- asked people to bring one firework in and we had a little fireworks show and so I remember um, the first year we went to do it, it was a fairly windy night and, when, and people are like, should we do it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and, and so we had the fireworks and this year was also a windy night, which did not turn out so good. Um, those of you who were running for your lives as some of the fireworks went off. But what we did is we had the fireworks here, and then our neighbors uh, next door, Jurgen and Rita, they, would, they had a little party at their house, and they had some fireworks right when ours finished. And so we had a bunch of people here, and, and there was you know, lots of visitors and people around. So we had the fireworks go off, and everything was fine. And then Jurgen and Rita went to do theirs, and and the wind happened and one blew over. And just as a bunch of the people were kind of making their ways to the, the cars, one blew over and, and like started firing. And, you know, people are running to their cars and there's this like <laughs> Roman candles like busting at them. And I'm kind of laughing and thinking this is crazy. But then there was this lady that was not impressed. I'd never met her before that night. I've never, I've never seen her again after this time. 
But she was angry, like angry, angry. And she goes over to the fence, and Jurgen and Rita and their neighbors, and, and Jurgen and Rita didn't attend the church at this time, and I'd hardly met them. And she's like, you effing, blah, blah, blah. And like expletive, expletive, expletive. And she's screaming at the top of her lungs at our neighbors, telling them to F off. And I was like, this is not what I wanted to happen at all. And I remember going over and thinking, oh, here we are, newbies in the neighborhood. And we've done the opposite of what I wanted. We have not brought healing We've brought fracture. I remember going to Jurgen and Rita, like hat in hand. I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. And they were super gracious. They were awesome, actually. And now they come to community. Go figure. Sometimes you can have the best of tensions, intentions and things go off the rails. Every neighborhood has that happen. But I asked the question at the core of it. Are you bringing healing to your neighborhood? Would, would your neighbor say, actually, you know what? When they look at your life, do they say, that's a guy or that's a girl that just, they just they're just like a salve over our neighborhood. They just, they bring a healing to things. That they're a presence that, or, or are you actually bringing fracture and brokenness? What could you do this week to bring healing to those who God's got you in relationship with? To those that God's put in the sphere of your influence? Can we pray this morning? Mighty God, you've called us, Lord, to actually be people that bring healing, to be peacemakers, to be those who bring your light in your life Lord, that we are called to be a spring of living water to those around us. So God, this week I pray, God, over our lives that you would help us, God, to live out that call, Lord, to, to be bringers of peace, to be encouragers, Lord, to be people of grace over those that we're in contact with, Lord, to actually take it a step further and be life-giving with the truth of your word. Lord, help us this week, Lord, to heal the brokenness that exists in Waterdown and Burlington and Flamborough and Dundas and Hamilton to those that you've put in our sphere. Lord, help us, Lord, to be agents of healing. God, so many times the, the simple truths of your word are the hardest to live out. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us this week to live that out. Lord, to be agents of change wherever we go, to be filled with your grace, Lord. Lord, for those of us who maybe say, you know what, my own home is broken. How do I bring healing to those around me? Lord, I pray that you'd start in us. Lord, that you'd start a healing work even in our homes, Lord, to the most broken of homes here, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just, you would just bring a graciousness about over their own households, Lord. Lord, help us to build peace in our own household. Help us to be encouragers in our own household. Lord, help us to be life givers in our own household, we pray, oh God. In your name, amen. Just uh, as we go this morning, I'm going to ask Jay's going to come around. And um, just as he does this morning,
and Carlo. And they're just going to bring some band-aids around. Some of them are plain. Some of them are not so plain. You might get a Dora one. You might get a Phineas and Ferb. But here's what I want you to do this week. If you could take my challenge to you is this week, if you'd take this Band-Aid and you'd stick it, maybe, maybe you need to stick it on your mirror or maybe it's on the steering wheel of your car just for a week and then you can take, like, someone will look in and say, what's that dirty Band-Aid on your car for? But for one week, would you pray for the next seven days, Lord, help me to be a healing agent to those that you put me in contact with. Lord, help me to be a healing agent wherever you would have me to go. And, and maybe as the Lord gives you uh, some words uh, over people or over situations, maybe you can write it on the Band-Aid and just say, Lord, this is your word for those around. Maybe it's in your own home, and maybe you just need to begin to pray this week. Lord, help me to be a healing agent, God, in my own home. Lord, help me to be a healing agent, God, with those that are right here in my immediate neighborhood, like my own household. Lord, help me this week to heal the brokenness. So as you go this week, that's my prayer over your life. Um, also, I just want to take some time. We're going to dismiss, but if you'd like prayer this morning, maybe some of our prayer leaders uh, wouldn't mind coming to the front this morning, and, and Carlo and Jay will be across the front. And if you'd like prayer, maybe there's some brokenness in your own world or maybe in your neighborhood that there's just that person you just need prayer for this morning. Um, we would love to pray with you this morning. Thanks for being with us today. May this week be a week of healing in your world. And as God uses you as an instrument of that. Thanks for being with us. Go in the grace and the peace and the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ today. If you'd like prayer, we're across the front. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.com.